This week's podcast brought to you by Twangers. Uh, our nine-year-old has a has a irrational, irrational probably fear of googly eyes. I don't know if we've talked about this before, but she hates anything and everything that has googly Terrified eyes. Terrified of googly eyes. Terrified of googly eyes. Uh, so any craft that has googly eyes on it, it's out of the question. Um, the local uh, weatherman came to speak about meteorology to the school this week, and the kids got pencils with kind of a character on them, and the character had googly eyes on it. So uh, while the other two kids got googly eyes in the car, googly eye pencils, she had shunned hers, but instead she got a plastic kind of whistle thing that had big uh, red lips, like oversized cartoon lips, and she was playing that whistle, and uh, and the kids were flashing her pencils at her, and she uh, screamed at them that she didn't want to see any more googly eyes, and they screamed back at her. One of them screamed back at her that they were tired of listening to her googly lips. <laughs> Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. We're freezing in the basement this morning it's really cold again down here we need to take our resident i forget what we named her resident something environmental heating expert. yes and she uh sent us an idea for what we need to do to get a better heated part of the basement well one place we could start is by me telling you that you're not cold <laughs> i was on a flight very early this morning uh flying back i, I did a game as we're recording this last night in South Bend, a Notre Dame, Tennessee game. And this morning I was flying on a 6 a.m. flight from Chicago back to Hartford. So we boarded the plane. It's probably, I don't know, quarter after five in the morning. The plane was very cold. I sit down and uh, I had my coat on and I took a scarf out of my pocket and I put it around my neck and I put, I was wearing a hoodie and I put my hood up. And after I did that, the guy sitting next to me, never met him, hadn't said hello even, said to me, it's not that cold. And I just looked at him and said, it is to me, and looked back forward. And that was our entire conversation because he fell asleep, as did I, during the flight. And then when we landed in Hartford, we didn't speak to each other. But he looked at me and said, it's not that cold. Did you consider waking him up and saying, you're not that tired? Right. (laughs) That would have uh, that would have been perfect. Yes. Um, Knock the Bloody I mean, Mary out of his hand and you say imagine, you're not that thirsty. Can you imagine saying that something like that to a complete stranger who is just obnoxious? I can imagine saying it to you because I've said it to you many times. I no longer say it to you. Well, because I know you don't like it, and I realize that it's kind of it's absurd. A, to how can tell one person else. tell somebody else how cold they are, how hungry they are, how anything they are? Um, but on my way out to Chicago, when I flew out on Sunday evening, um, I enjoyed this interaction as well. They, um, the the flight attendant came on. I, I was upgraded for this flight. The flight attendant um, came on and said to the people in first class, "We have eight spinach mushroom raviolis and twelve beef briskets. Um, so not everyone is going to get a choice." So I was in I don't know row three or something. So by the time she gets to me and the guy next to me, I, I wasn't eating anything. And the guy next to me said to her, um, "What do you like? 
when she asked him what he wanted to eat. And her response, which made me laugh a little too loudly out loud, was, what I like is not eating this food. That was her response to him. And I just started laughing. And she said, really? It's way too salty and dehydrated and something else. I don't eat this food. And everyone heard her. <laughs> and then she keeps going, taking other people's orders. And, and a couple people just said, I won't, I won't be having anything. And um, I don't know if that was, <laughs> there was their choice before she said, what I like is not eating this food. <laughs> I like it. It's honesty. Complete honesty, yes. And how did you get to South Bend from O'Hare? You flew into O'Hare. Well, this is so early, but it is already time for an Uber driver confession. He drives part-time, it's not his chosen profession, but it gives him a chance to share his life's lessons. It's time for the segment we call Uber Confessions. So I got to South Bend, and uh, I'm sorry, I got to Chicago, um, Flying into South Bend uh, from Hartford can be difficult and limit your choices, but it's only, it's less than a two-hour drive from Chicago to South Bend. So I got in a car, and, um, and my driver from the second uh, I saw him was just super chatty. This was and not an Uber. It was a it was, yeah, it car was, service. It was a car service. It was not an Uber. Um, but my, my driver just just started talking from from the second he met me and um he he brought up how it was veterans day and he said uh that he was in the navy and uh he said i had probably the easiest assignment in all of the armed forces and uh, i said what is that and he said i played in the the navy band in vietnam and he i said well what instrument did you play he said i played trombone and bass guitar and he said i still play bass guitar and uh and after he said, I still play bass guitar, he looked at me and he said, I'm a bad man. <laughs> and and what makes that so funny is if you had seen this guy. So I'm going to describe him. Um, so you can guess his age if he was in, in, in Vietnam. And, this guy uh, played bass guitar in Vietnam. He played, Trombone in Vietnam. Yes. That's, I mean, and there's he's a, a novel right he's, there. He's a bad man. And, uh, and you know, a, a, I don't know, probably a six foot tall white guy with like a comb over and a big mustache, super friendly, you know, looks looked like a guy who played trombone, looked like a guy who played bass, but certainly didn't look like a guy who would say about himself, I'm a bad man. <laughs> and he said, he said, I drive. So he said, um, so that, you know, I earn my living by driving. But what he really likes to do is he still plays bass, uh, bass guitar on the weekends at different gigs in different places. Anyway, he uh, he he was talking about basketball because you know he knew he was driving me to South Bend, so I told him why I was going out there, and he told me, uh, you know, that he played basketball in high school. Then he started talking about how the NBA is a watered down game, and this was his idea for how you can improve the NBA. He said, I, I think there should be circles on both sides of the court at half court. And, um, and if a guy stands in those and makes a shot, it would be like 20 or 25 points. He said that would totally revolutionize and change the game. I said, well, you know, Steph Curry sort of makes shots from there already. But uh, and then he, and but then, that, that wouldn't be worth four points. He jumped straight from three to 25. Yeah, tw- 20 or 25. And um, and then I, I, you know, he asked me if I was covering a men's or women's game when I went to South Bend. So I told him, um, you know, I'm covering a women's games, a women's game. And he said, oh, those girls can play. And then he caught himself. He said, well, but I, I don't need to tell you that. <laughs> and uh, anyway, it was um, it, he he then went off on um, kids in college these days. And 
uh, he was talking about, he's like, I just, he said, you know, it, it just doesn't make any sense for people to go to get a li liberal arts degree. He said, you go into Starbucks and you have all these people with liberal arts degrees who can't get a job, who are just sitting around using the Starbucks Wi-Fi. So you got to get a degree like an, like engineering where you can actually get a job. So we bounced around from how to solve the problems in the NBA to, um, playing in the Navy band to, um, you know, what majors kids should have in college. And this was literally in the first 10 or 15 minutes that I was in the car with him. Um, I would have just let my voice memo run and let this guy talk into it about his experience playing trombone yes. in Vietnam. Yes, I know that he led with that and then quickly moved on to all these um, to all these other topics. But uh, anyway, he was he was clearly a really interesting guy. And did anything interesting happen in South Bend? I know it was the game was a bit of a blowout. Yeah, it was really, really snowy. It snowed the entire day that we were there. It snowed um, the ride back. So after the game, Adam Amin was our play-by-play -play person, and Adam lives in Chicago. So after the game, I rode with him back to O'Hare Airport. He dropped me off there, and the driving conditions were really horrible. For the first hour of our car ride, um, as we were leaving South Bend, once we got closer to Chicago, they were fine. But it was a ton of snow coming down. Um, you know, visibility was limited. Um, you know, we were driving really slowly uh, in Adam's Toyota Camry. But at one point, we're on a divided highway, three lanes um, each direction. And at one point, as we're driving, we look up. We're in the middle lane, and we see in the left lane is a tractor trailer that is facing us. So somehow he had just lost control, totally spun 180 and was facing us as we're, you know, less than 100 yards away or like 50 yards away. And Adam was able to maneuver around that. But it was a little bit of a um, a little bit of a challenging I'm drive. Pic I'm picturing a montage set to music, set to maybe Willie Nelson's on the road again. You and Adam sort of Thelma and Louise stopping for milkshakes and stopping to get 7-Eleven uh, uh, burritos and just the kind of a classic American road trip. I uh, wish it was something like that. We um, and, and the funny thing is, too, he um, something was wrong with his uh, windshield washer fluid. It didn't work. And on a night like that, you really need to wash your windshield. So by the time he dropped me at O'Hare, there was almost zero visibility out of his windshield. We both grabbed water bottles and were like pouring them on the windshield so he could drive home and actually see where he was going. Well, the Toyota Camry is possibly my favorite car. Not that I've ever driven one or ridden in one. Perhaps I have, but Camry is an, an is an anagram of my car. And of course, a Toyota is a palindrome reading the same forwards as backwards. Was that done on purpose or is it Camry something else? I don't know. I don't know how they name any of these cars, you know. This isn't the actual name of a car, but it could be Credenza, the Chrysler Credenza. Oh, right. You know? they, right. They just, they, they, I mean, a Credenza is an actual thing, but I think they just like the, the, the sound of, uh, of these different of the names. Words, yeah. Well, um, it was, our game itself was actually pretty interesting because it was Notre Dame against Tennessee. Notre Dame has been a powerhouse the past few years. Tennessee, of course, has eight national championships, but both of them kind of searching for a new identity. Tennessee has a new coach, um, Kelly Harper. Uh, in her first year, she won three national championships when she was a player in the late 90s with Tennessee. And then Notre Dame, not only did they lose all five of their starters last year to, w to the WNBA, but they have a couple injuries this year. So coming into last night's game, they were missing 98% 
of their scoring from the year before. So Notre Dame starting three freshmen that had never happened before in Muffet McGraw's 30 plus years coaching at Notre Dame. So it was an it was a interesting game. Notre Dame it will be a much different team at the end of the year, but right now they are young and they they struggle at times to score. Tennessee is pretty athletic. It's going to be interesting to see what they can do. They just lost one of their important pieces with an ACL tear in Zay Green. And and I just want to mention this too because it was a really really big deal this past week in in women's basketball in that the U.S. women's national team uh, with many members who will make up the Olympic team next year that's going to Tokyo are playing on a tour. I think right now they're in Argentina, but before they left, they played on a, a, a tour and played four different college teams. They played Stanford, then at Oregon State, then Texas A&M, and then at Oregon. And in their Oregon game, they lost. Oregon beat the U.S. national team. It's the first time since 1999 that a college team has beaten the national team. And it's only the second time it's ever happened. And uh, Oregon is really, really, really good. They already look in midseason form. They've returned four starters from a year ago. They're great. The USA team is going to be fine. Um, you know, they they got beat by Oregon. But at the same time, they're going to have a couple different players when they go to the Olympics. Brittany Griner will be there. Elena Deladon will be there. Asia Wilson will be there. None of those three played in this game. That being said, even when, when UConn was you know, winning undefeated um, seasons and winning national championships. And people would say, oh, they could beat a WNBA team. I would always say, no, they can't. The WNBA is so much better than college basketball. Well, Oregon just went out and beat a team that had, that was full of WNBA all-stars. I mean, it's really, really impressive what they were able to do. This is going to be more ball than chain this episode. But um, you, when I brought up uh, the game in South Bend, what I what I was driving at was you met the leprechaun. I'm glad I got the analysis. <laughs> Sorry, I did get I did meet the leprechaun because he came over because last year when Notre Dame beat UConn, I for the first time I lost a bet to Mike Golick, and at some point I have to pay up that bet, which is going to be wearing that leprechaun outfit. And the leprechaun came over. I'd say he's about six two, and so he came over to me, was talking to me, and he said, you know, this. He said, I hear I'm going to be loaning you my costume. But he has this like strong Irish brogue. And um, my question is, is that like the Notre Dame leprechaun? Is that do they get a guy from Ireland or is it like a total fake? No, it's not an actual leprechaun. No, No, I know it's not a leprechaun. The making of this outfit. But but is it is it an actual Irishman? Uh, In this case, it may be. And do they do they like give him classes on how to talk in a leprechaun way? (laughs) By watching. Lucky Charms commercial? Yeah, I don't know. But the guy the guy is super nice. And yes, at some point between now and April, I imagine I will be in studio with uh, Trey and, and Mike Golick wearing the lovely leprechaun outfit. Can I switch topics completely? Of course. You were gone those uh, couple of nights, and I was doing laundry, putting away clothes. And uh, I noticed, well, I've noticed this, this is not for the first time, that our kids, who are larger than the average bear, yes, um, many, if not all of them, but certainly our 11-year-old and our 9-year-old, I'm still trying to hang shirts on hangers that say zero to three months on them from uh, Carter's or Babies Are Us. And is it a sentimental thing where you can't part with the hangers that the baby clothes came on, or are we that cheap? Or no. have we just never gotten rid of them? But no. I can tell you that that the 11-year-old's shirts 
Do not hang properly on hangers that read zero to three months. See, this is the problem in the hanger buying business. So it's easy to find hangers for adult clothes. We have plenty of adult-sized hangers in our house. It is hard to find hangers for our nine-year-old or our 11-year-old's shirts. And so if you put them on the adult size hanger, then their shoulders like end up with these marks in them or their arms where the hangers go. But even though like the zero to three month, while they're comically too small for the shirts, you can put the shirts on them in a way where they still get hung in the closet and then they don't give those little pokey things in the arms or the shoulders where the large hanger is. What I need to do, and we have some hangers, you know, sometimes when you buy clothes for the kids, they let you keep the hanger. And so that fits it perfectly. But I honestly have looked for hangers for our kids size shirts and I haven't been able to find them. So the option is to put them on adult hangers, which are far too big, or to do your best to maneuver these tiny hangers that we still have from when they were infants this sounds and like not a, have it all poke it out. This sounds like a product that uh, everybody would say on Shark Tank. I like the idea, but I don't, I don't see it as a scalable business or I don't see it uh, as something that can be demonstrated on an infomercial. So you, for those reasons, I'm out. You're out. You know what I would purchase if they if it existed? It would be an adjustable size hanger where like, you know, the flat sure part exist. in the middle, you collapse. know, you could, you could, yeah, collapse or enlarge. I mean, that would be absolutely perfect. Then as your kid got older, you just it eventually can be an adult size hanger and start as, you know, a toddler size. But other moms, if any moms are listening and you've had success purchasing, you know, or hacking or doing something to make your hangers fit, you know, kind of the tween size, tween age size, uh, let me know. But it is more challenging than you would think. Twangers? Yes. Queen size hangers? <laughs> See, Clangers? That, collapsible hangers? This is a whole line. This is, this is a extension. whole business for Shark Tank. We should get one of our kids on this because they love the show and uh, they could present this idea. And, you know, it would just be a matter of if you could make it cheaply enough. But I think it's a fantastic idea. Well, we'd have to find out what your uh, manufacturing costs are then what your wholesale cost is, and then and then what your retail cost is. And then we could figure out. See, I'm, I've learned. Okay, Mister Wonderful. I've learned <laughs> one minute of of business knowledge watching that that show. Um, speaking of laundry, our son, and I think he probably got this from me. Likes to bring his socks down stairs in the morning without putting them on. Fully dressed, with the exception of socks, put the socks on the counter, leave them there until it's time to get fully suited up and leave for school. And uh, so today, he was sitting at the counter, and he said to me in an accusing tone of voice, does anybody know what happened to my socks? I put them right there. And then he pointed at the counter. Tell me they were right there. Well, they had been right there when he put them down, but now, but since he put them down, he used those socks to prop up his school iPad that he was finishing an assignment on. So I lifted the iPad and said, Yes, they're still right there, propping up your iPad. Do you know what else he got from you as regards as as relates to socks? Uh, good taste and no. So I I distinctly remember this, and I, and I don't think I ever mentioned this to you. This was within the last month or two, and you were tidying up in the living room, and you pulled a sock out from between between the couch cushions, and like it was like a- Richard Dreyfuss and Jaws. I reached in between the cushions, and I. 
will pull out something. Sometimes right. it's a license plate, an old rubber boot. Right. This time it was a, a single sock. And it was. And our I wave s- it. I brandish it. It was our son's sock. And then two cushions over, you did the same thing, and it was our oldest daughter's sock. And you said, you know, why am I finding socks in the couch cushions? And you you were pretty adamant and pretty up, angry about it and irritated that by would, it. I don't, that doesn't sound like me, but that would have been a rhetorical question. Yeah, I wasn't looking for yeah, an answer. Yeah, it doesn't there. sound like you at all. And so, you know, then you give them their socks to bring them upstairs and put them in the laundry or whatever. I give them their socks. Yes. And you, I don't know, you, I, don't, I don't know if you were on your way to bring them somewhere, but oh, you were gosh, no longer. I hope this story ends with me, f- you finding one of my socks. Of course I did. You, 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 you left the room. You weren't Nonsense. in there. Neither were the kids. And I found a, one of your socks. What kind of a slob do you think that I'm that, <laughs> that I sit on the couch and I take off my socks? Hey, that I take no, off my socks and then I would the stuff them point. in a couch cushion? This is the whole point. You don't, you, neither you nor the kids take off your socks. You take off a sock, a single sock. Like, I can't tell you how often I find a single sock in, in, in our couch cushions. And it's usually one of those two children or yours. There's no, there's no <laughs> you way you've ever you found a single sock from. of mine in the couch. Are you, okay, you don't think I found a single sock of yours or a pair of your socks on the floor or under the couch? There's a pair, I guarantee you, if I go upstairs right now and look under our bed, there is a at least one, if not two of your socks Well, there. Th- that would be a rogue sock that, that broke free no. while folding laundry. But no, it's a, it'll be a dirty sock that you took off when you sat down on the bed, Nonsense. just dropped on the floor. No, no, And I one of them that. disappeared under the bed so it didn't get put okay. in the laundry let, and the other let's, one. Let's, send a, uh, let's take a picture of our bedroom and see which, which is the spick and span, spotless, meticulously tidy half and which one is yours, okay? This because a few days ago. Okay. You well, did your anyway, one uh, once anyway. of every few months cleaning. But I'm just saying, I, you I can't. can't you really can't get upset with our kids with the whole sock thing because, and I don't think they learned from watching you. I think upset. I think it is part of the DNA they were born with. I don't know how how that happens, but they were I, born with the sock shoved in the couch cushion portion of the DNA. I, I will say, and I've written about this when I was a kid. I would I would get lost in thought while getting dressed in the morning, and my mom would come into the room, my room. And I would have one sock on and one sock off. And she would always recite nursery rhyme, diddle diddle dumpling my son John, one shoe off and one shoe on. And um, that became a recurring theme of my childhood. However, I don't sit around gazing into middle space wearing one sock anymore. But you know who does? Our son. Yes, absolutely. We all go into his room, and he'll be sitting on his bed, and he'll be dressed in his school uniform with one sock on, one sock off, like laying on his bed, staring at the ceiling, his brain who knows where. And I'll be like, come on, you got to eat breakfast. Get your other sock on. Let's go. Meanwhile, our nine-year-old daughter at breakfast this morning, um, you weren't here yet, was uh, on a one of the bar stools that spin around. And uh, she said, dead, dead, come into the kitchen. Don't look. Just just walk into the kitchen, and um, I want to show you something. So I walk into the kitchen. I walk out of the kitchen and walk back into the kitchen. And she's has her back to me on the bar stool, and she said, "Why do people do this in drama movies and do this slow mo turn?" And as I walked into the kitchen, she slowly rotated the bar stool 180 degrees with her head down and looked up and said, "What?" <laughs> What thinking, is she watching? What kind of movies is she watching? Telenovelas? I mean, what? what uh, the voice? I don't know what she's watching. And then she said shouldn't to me. Shouldn't she say instead of what? Shouldn't she say, que pasa? Yeah, and then she said to me, 
it works better in your office chair because my office chair spins and she she will do that and she has done that where where uh, she'll sit in my office chair and she'll slowly turn in it and uh say you know Dr. Evil style, dun, dun, dun. So I'm, I am wondering what uh, drama shows, as she put it, she's watching where people do the, quote, slow-mo turn for dramatic purposes. But she's she's picked up on something that's definitely real. All right, well, last week was uh, the 100th episode, so we had a lot of, well, not a lot, we had several uh, additional wrinkles in that, and we didn't get to a lot of viewer mail. So we, had a, we have a backlog of viewer mail. And I should say about the 100th episode, by the way, that I got a text after... We posted that uh, from somebody who said, it was my brother Tom, I should add, my brother Tom who said, you mentioned uh, the Golics and Holly Rowe and Sam Farmer as your only guests. Uh-oh. Well, I was one of your guests. And I replied, I meant our only, the only guest that I remember. <laughs> but your sister Rachel was also a guest. That's right, and I yes. neglected to mention those two. And whoever else we forgot. We're our sorry. apologies, yeah. But let's get to some of our backlog viewer mail, and we can continue our conversation because some of this stuff is um, is good fodder. Big bad look, throw our lure, reel us in with your viewer mail. Patrick writes, I subscribed to your podcast after hearing Steve's guest spot on The Gist. That's a slate podcast I did when, the, when uh, Knights of the Castle came out. But I have become a fan, mainly for falling in love with Rebecca's voice. Is there a more comforting voice anywhere? No, there is not, writes Patrick. <laughs> are, you, you, are you using your high grand voice? You on a, find my voice anything but no, no, no. comforting. I was going to say grating, but I, I meant ingratiating. <laughs> okay. No, there is not, writes Patrick. Question, though. You refer to your listeners as viewers. Is there a webcast out there that I'm not aware of? Steve, this is in parentheses, your voice is nice too. Here's looking forward to the next 100. Patrick, thank you, Patrick. Thank you for finding us. And uh, we, we refer to our listeners as viewers strictly uh, as a now long forgotten homage to David Letterman's NBC show where they would do viewer mail. And so we started calling our uh, this portion of the show viewer mail. And then at some point started referring to the listeners as viewers. But no, there is not a webcast. But if there was right now, he would see us bundled up in our cold basement, me with my hoodie on. Orange hoodie. And um, I just need my scarf so you can tell me it's not that cold. And me in my leprechaun costume. Yeah. <laughs> Greg uh, continues the, uh, the continuing story of Yahtzee odds. We've talked in the past about the worst box to fill in Yahtzee being the large straight. We hate it, even though the Yahtzee is more difficult to obtain. And Greg set us straight in a previous viewer mail bag. Well, he writes, I may, might have misspoken on the odds in Yahtzee. If you have two chances left and you need a one or a six to complete the large straight, your chances are 66.6%. But with only one roll left, it's 33.3%. Also, on Rebecca's last roll, when she hit the two ones, you have, you've rolled three ones and you need two more to get Yahtzee? Yes. There is only a 2.7% chance of making that. I love this because there is a chart here, by the way. I'm going to get to a bar graph, I should say. I also use this this chart when playing Monopoly, building up huge building up huge on the orange properties. I know Illinois is one of those, right? Or am I just thinking of the University of Illinois? No, that so. sounds right. It's been a long time since I've well, played well, Monopoly. Uh, Greg builds up huge on the orange properties because of the odds of landing there in two rolls from go or one roll from jail just visiting or higher. Uh, and, and this chart is the probabilities of two dice totals. The probability on the left, the totals on the uh, 
on the flat axis, whatever that is, and uh, and of course rolling a seven when you're rolling two dice that has the highest probability. That's uh, uh, around 17%. The lowest probabilities are rolling snake eyes or boxcars. And it's stair steps up from there and stair steps down from there. Well, I think it would be helpful to all of our viewers slash listeners if I posted that you chart on it's a, it's our Instagram account, which is at Ball and Chain Podcast. So I will post that um, on Instagram. Jim, our Canadian resident resident Canadian, writes to Ball and Chain Pod at gmail dot com. Hi, Rebecca and Steve. May I, may I offer a third option for arranging your eggs in a carton? I like to spread them out to evenly distribute the weight. Rebecca likes to keep them all in a neat row. Assuming you put the carton in the fridge narrow side out, the only sensible way, you can also... Well, why didn't we think of that, Rebecca? <laughs> of course it's narrow side out. Of course out. it's narrow Keep side out. Going. Assuming you put it in that way, you can also put all the eggs at the end closest to the door. Having all the weight at the end you grab makes it easy to handle. I agree with that. The problem with that is, especially if one of the kids puts the box back, they may reverse it, and uh, and then you're grabbing the light end, and that's that's a recipe for disaster or a recipe for omelets floor broken omelets. Do you know what I'm, you don't, do you understand this? I understand, okay. yes. Jim adds, also in episode 99, there was some comment regarding the podcast no longer being funny. I believe we were making that comment, right? Yes, uh, other people have made that comment since the but, first episode. But that's completely untrue, writes Jim. Just like in Get Smart, 99 was one of the funniest. Well, thank you, Jim. And, and I love the reference to Agent 99 in Get Smart. Uh, Dear Stephen Rebecca writes, Scott with two T's, on your last podcast, you mentioned pharmacies that were not national chains. We have one in town here. And that reminded me of an anecdote from my grandparents' rural hometown in south-central Wisconsin. They lived in Browntown, population about 250. There was a general store in town, and the owner bought a neon sign that read, Drugs, and hung it in the front window. He got in trouble for the sign because he was not a pharmacist. He didn't want his investment to go to waste, so he unlit the D and hung carpet remnants in the window. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like your dad's dad with the uh, facts with the sign. My facts. dad's dad owned a bar on Market Street in San Francisco. Forgive me if I've told this before. His name was Jack. He ordered a neon sign that said Jack's. It came back spelled facts, or at least the J looked very much like an F. And rather than return it and go to the expense of, of making a new sign, he kept it and just named the place facts. And uh, old timers in San Francisco may know that there was a very popular nightclub on Market Street in the 1950s and early 60s. He no longer owned it by then, called Fax. And everybody from Sinatra to Duke Ellington to Lenny Bruce uh, played Fax nightclub. So, um, but that's the story behind the sign. Uh, hi, Steve, writes our own uh, Harold Markley. Hello, uh, Harold. Harry of myth. Uh, this is from a couple of weeks ago, um, before our 100th podcast. My friend John got to coach Ryan Saunders, the current coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves for one season during traveling basketball. See his fun story below. So just a little backstory. People may know that um, I met Flip Saunders when I was in middle school and high school, and um, he was instrumental in my getting a job at Sports Illustrated. And his son Ryan is now the – Flip, of course, was the head coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves, also the Pistons, the Wizards, and his son Ryan is now the coach of the, of the Timberwolves. Harry posted this, I think, on Facebook when Flip passed away in 2015, and he just recently saw it again and mentioned his brush with Flip was in seventh grade 
at a Cairo basketball camp where Flip was guest speaker. Flip spun a basketball on his finger and wrapped it around his back into his other hand while keeping it spinning the whole time. He pulled a kid, not me, from the crowd to try to do it. The kid failed miserably. I was motivated to be that kid the next year at camp. I practiced all winter and got really good at it. Do you see where this is going, Rebecca? I see where it's going. Flip did not come to camp the next year, writes Harry, but I was ready for him. <laughs> but and like the one, the one basketball skill that yes. is otherwise useless. But it's so, but it's so uh, but it is, mesmerizing at yes, camp, especially yes, to kids. Of course. Um, but but Harry's friend John Mecky um, coached Flip's son Ryan for one one uh, traveling season, and and he encloses this memory from from a, from his friend John Mecky. I was lucky to have had the opportunity to coach Flip's son the year the NBA had a play stoppage. Great guy, Flip was, and a great family. He called me and asked if I minded if he coached his son's team and explained that he never had the chance to coach his son due to obvious reasons. He was coaching in the NBA. Of course, I said yes, and he graciously asked me what I thought uh, he, Flip, could do to help the team. Looking back, I smiled because I vividly remember my response as we sat at the McDonald's in Wyzetta. I said, well, we don't shoot the ball that well. And Flip laughed and said, we don't either. So I'm not sure I'll make a difference, but I'll give it my best. At our first game where he coached, the, where he coached, the gym was packed when people realized that Flip Saunders was coaching. It was a close game. Flip called a timeout and walked out onto the court with his arm extended. I wasn't sure what to do. And then in a calm voice, he asked me for his clipboard. So he didn't recognize the universal gesture of the head coach right. summoning the clipboard. Because in youth basketball, yes. you, you grabbed do, your yeah, own clipboard. <laughs> and Flip said, so what do you think will work here? We need a bucket. His son, Ryan, was quite the shooter and clearly our best. Naturally, we called on him in these moments, so I said, go with Ryan. He did. We ended up losing that game, and there's two things I still remember from the first day, from that day. First, how he asked me what I thought we should do, and second, how he stayed and signed autographs and talked to so many people. Uh, and, uh, and Harry asked, my memories of Flip, I have so many, but um, the, one, the most recent one is um, when uh, 1984, when uh, the Cubs and Cardinals had a famous game on the NBC Game of the Week, Ryan Sandberg had two home runs to tie the game and then eventually win the game at Wrigley Field. And we were watching that game in Flip's backyard, a bunch of us having played pickup hoops on Flip's uh, half court in the backyard. And we were all so into Ryan Sandberg and Flip saying that if he ever had a son, he was going to name him after Ryan Sandberg, R-Y-N-E, Ryan Sandberg. And lo and behold, a few years later, Flip has a son and they name him Ryan, very close to Ryan. And I told the story in the radio in Minneapolis this summer on KFAN and, uh, one of Ryan's buddies heard this, and Ryan called in uh, to confirm that uh, that he was named phonetically for Ryan Sandberg, but that his mother was the big Cubs fan from Chicago. His dad from Cleveland was a big Indians fan. So um, anyway, uh, the Timberwolves are doing well, and um, and we're really happy for Ryan slash Ryan. My brain has been just flipping through though all the other ways that. The NBA, coaching in the NBA is different from youth basketball. One of them, of course, yes, is that you don't have a coach handing you handing you the clipboard. Uh, l- let's think of some other ways that uh, youth oh, basketball... I, I can think of some other ways. Every other way. Every- <laughs> here, here, the, the main way, the coaches in the NBA are coaching in the NBA. The coaches in youth basketball think they're coaching right. in the NBA. <laughs> That's that's the difference between you know God and the surgeon. The, God doesn't think he's a surgeon, you know. Right. So, that uh, that that is very very true. So, Mark writes, guys, my wife and I just started listening to your podcast and are really enjoying it. We're going from current back. We're going from the current back and connect with a lot of your topics quickly. I was at UConn at the same time as Rebecca, and your piece on ticket stubs 
my piece on ticket stubs, that is, in Sports Illustrated, led me to go back to look in my ticket book for a day that really stands out among many in my days of watching UConn athletics, before, during, and after my time there. That day, January 16th, 1995, MLK Day. A women's men's doubleheader with Rebecca and, and team beating the legendary Pat Summit's Tennessee Volunteers to take over the number one spot for the first time, followed by what I think was the number two ranked men's team led by Ray Ray Allen blowing past John Thompson's Hoyas at the Civic Center. Both games on ESPN with crazy student sections in both. I hadn't looked at my ticket subs for many years and was able to flip through it with my son who really enjoyed it. Unfortunately, a lost art at this point. And here it is, Beck, a picture of a student ticket from January 16th, 1995, the UConn-Tennessee game that uh, brought your Huskies team to number one for the first time ever. I've told this story before, but one of my most vivid memories from that day was um, after Gamble Pavilion had completely cleared out, um, we were going to the men's game that night. I just remember Jen Rosati sitting in one of the baseline seats and and saying to us, because she had this little Dodge Dart, I think it was, that she would drive us to go, because our game was on campus, the men's game was in downtown Hartford, and Remember her saying, uh, you think if I got pulled over for speeding today, they'd actually give me a ticket? And I remember going to that game and we had seats kind of on the on the baseline side um, at the at the then Civic Center. And it was uh, UConn playing Georgetown. And that's when Allen Iverson was playing. And uh, and at one point during the game, they they showed us and put us on the scoreboard and just getting this huge ovation from the men's basketball fans that were there. But that was a pretty good day for UConn basketball. And UConn, Tennessee will uh, reprise that Yeah, rivalry. they're playing for the first time since, I think, 1998. Yeah, and as you saw last night, Tennessee looks good. Or maybe, no, I'm sorry, first time since like 2008. It has, yeah. But it's been a really long time. Yeah, it, it could be a really good game. So our certified court reporter, Deb, writes, Dear Stephen Rebecca, the note, remember she, in a previous viewer mailbag, sent a court reporter shorthand, whatever you would call that. It, it looked like a, a Morse code to us. Um, oh, right. I said message. I was going to post yeah. that, and I but, haven't well, yet. Don't we yet. can find it. Because okay. post this one, because she sent it again, but annotated it. Uh, the notes enclosed in my previous email were actually the first sentence in the body of the email. I have marked them up so you can understand them. Uh, and that says, Rebecca, oh, uh, don't be too hard on Steve for giving up my birthday surprise. And none of that looks like that. It's something that only she could read it. It's it's uh, well, we'll encrypted. Post, we will also because what what have I already said? I'm going to post. Well, you're gonna post. You're gonna post the dice odds and and the dice odds. and uh, Yahtzee. Plus that we also have uh, the, the ticket stub from the UConn Tennessee game. Stephen Rebecca, this is from uh, Jeff in Windsor, your Hollywood correspondent, our Hollywood correspondent. Not only do I remember those pet food commercials, I worked on I worked on three meow mix spots. Meow, meow, Here's meow, the first meow, one. Really? And he closes a, a, a link to a YouTube Meow Mix commercial. And it's very 90s because the guy is getting a call from his cat on his car phone. <laughs> and and uh, I think I remember Baxter that the cat is calling, demanding his Meow Mix. And the voiceover says, the only cat food that tastes so good, cats ask for it by name. <laughs> and and speaking of voiceovers, I, had, I went down a rabbit hole the other day of looking at Ernie Anderson voiceovers. Ernie Anderson was the voice of ABC in the 70s and 80s. He's the guy who said, uh, tonight uh, on The Love Boat, tonight The Love Boat is all new with Audra Lindley. Do you know who I'm talking about? I, do, I, don't, just, I know the, what If you hear the voice, about, you will yes. instantly recognize it as the voice of, of the TV of your youth. And he's also the father of uh, the 
the movie director, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Why did, did you uh, go down that rabbit hole? can't remember why, but I'm so glad I, I, I went down it. Um, Were you wearing two socks or one at the time? I was probably wearing one. Uh, I was probably looking for my other sock down the rabbit hole. But um, uh, I want to visit this rabbit hole a little bit more. Like, how do you how do you find yourself? Because I don't I don't visit rabbit holes. I don't think nearly as much as you do. <laughs> I don't know, but once you go down one, man, it's it's hard to I mean, how climb much, back out. How much time a day would you guess you spend in a rabbit hole or multiple rabbit holes? Well, speaking to you from our basement, probably the entire day, and that's fine. That's it's a good place to live, right? I suppose so. Well, I just want to. You finish. have this whole other life that I didn't know you were living in these yes, rabbit holes. It's a whole other life. Yes. <laughs> I just let me finish Jeff's email. Uh, moving on, I'm a big fan of saving ticket stubs. I've framed a few along with the relevant newspaper articles. Among the stubs on my wall, Nolan Ryan's sixth no-hitter, Ricky Henderson's stolen base record, and the 49ers Chargers Super Bowl. That's a lot of uh, uh, landmark sporting events to have attended. I'm older than both of you, but I remember all of the board games you talk about. Another favorite of ours was Crazy Clock, which involved the creation of some kind of Rube Goldberg device. That game caused us to be late for elementary school once, which should have been impossible since we lived next door to the school. You and I were talking, uh, Rebecca, I don't think we mentioned this on the podcast, about the game. We actually have it. Perfection. Hasbro's Perfection, where you, you try to put all the geometric shapes yes. in 30 seconds before the whole surface pops up and, and sends them flying. And, and there's something that causes panic in me still when I realize the clock is winding down and the whole thing's going to jump and I loved that game as a kid but I don't think I ever played it as I don't think we had it at our house I think we had we didn't played at friends houses and I don't think I ever played it where it had all of the pieces and so we own it now and we actually have all of the pieces that is a fun game although Jeff doesn't have a band-aid colored sedan he writes he does have well over 100 hats hanging in a closet in my world headquarters also known as the basement if Steve runs short I'm sure I can spare a few he enjoyed running into you a few weeks ago at Bradley Beck uh, and here's a photo of his collection of 100 hats, ones I recognize right here. Uh, he has, it looks like a Milwaukee Bucks hat, a 49ers hat, a Windsor hat, a wine burgundy Phillies hat from Does like 1980. Hollywood hat? Uh, he Does should. Jeff well, and Windsor, he, 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 wear, he wears our Hollywood hat, as, as, uh, as you know. Um, and he also mentioned in the email that he went to Mexico once to photograph, to film Baxter's owner on a boat, which uh, Baxter the cat, the Meow Mix cat. I wonder if Baxter the cat had like a great entourage and a in a lar- large Hollywood life. A pussy posse? Yeah. Um, well, let's, uh, can you, well, yeah, let's, uh, moving on. Um, Ralph, <laughs> Ralph writes, hi, Restiva. Uh, I have not put out caps in my sedan for a long time, suggesting that at one time he did, mm-hmm. but I might start again while on my way to games as I do own three Yukon caps. He has difficulty buying, finding caps, uh, Yukon caps in Connecticut. Tried and failed. I could say Bob's stores always has them, don't they, Beck? One time we went into the footlocker in Stanford. trouble finding Yukon hats in Connecticut? That's what he says. Um, anyway, he was, I do not hold out much hope for the Huskies versus the Mids tonight. This was obviously written a couple of weeks ago when uh, Yukon played Navy, Navy they and got lost crushed, 56 to 10. Yeah, yeah, so he was right not to hold out hope. But speaking of college football, we have Tom writing to us. Not, not Tom, Tom, Dick, and Harry, but Tom, who is applying to be the resident college football fan. And, and I think we can easily rubber stamp this application. Attached, you will... Find my setup for Saturday college football. In addition to the three TVs fo- pictured here, I have mini helmets set out for the games that I feel are the most interesting of the day. I watch three games at a time and nine games all total on a Saturday in the fall. My Saturday schedule is usually as follows. You ready, Rebecca? I'm ready. Because this is going to be my schedule. 9 a.m., start watching college game day. 10 to 11, go downstairs and work out. Either a run on the treadmill or a ride on my bike trainer while watching college game day. 
11 to 11.15, rest while watching College Game Day. 11.15 to 11.30, shower and get dressed. 11.30, go back downstairs to finish watching College Game Day and see Coach Corso's headgear pick. 12, start watching the first set of three games. 3.30, start watching the next set of three games. 7 to 8, start watching the third set of three games. The TV in the middle, pictured here, is the only one that has the sound on. Uh, above that TV is a, is a big Notre Dame flag. Um, there are a few rules as to what game is on the middle TV. One, Notre Dame is always on that TV. That is non-negotiable. Two, Michigan State will be on the middle TV if Notre Dame is not playing at that time. I only emerge from the basement for two reasons. Uh, one, to help bring the groceries or whatever else my wife needs me to bring in. Two, to make my dinner. To make my dinner. I basically become a basement troll for the day. Not to worry, though. My wife of 29 years, uh, LSW, I'm sure, a long-suffering wife, very much enjoys her me time. So she's usually gone for much of the time that I'm watching college football. So I'm not foregoing us time to watch college football. This seems to me a chicken or the egg deal, but... Okay. Uh, when my adult boys come in town for the weekend during football season, they always tell me that all they want to do is watch college football with me all day. That's probably what their mother is telling them. She wants them yes. to do all day as well. My, my friends know to just come into the house through the garage because if they ring the doorbell, I won't answer. There are always cold beverages in the basement fridge, and I always have snacks. So am I qualified enough to be the ball and chain resident college football fan? Thanks, Tom. Tom, absolutely. I think, uh, I think I, your position is more uh, solid your Tom, job security than, than anybody we've ever had. I'm going to be pretty honest here and say Tom scares me a little. <laughs> well, uh, uh, Tom is, uh, I mean, Tom, it, it's awesome. So, um, What would be the thing that would keep you in a basement all day? Is there something that once a week you would just look forward to going to the basement, you'd only emerge for, you know, to help me bring in the groceries that would keep you in the basement all day? Just about anything. <laughs> uh, Twilight Zone Marathon on sci-fi, uh, a book that I'm enjoying, a book that I'm not enjoying all that much, uh, gazing vacantly into space with one sock on, any of those things. But I, I only Next have Next year for your birthday, I'm giving you a day in the basement. Okay. Because that's, gift, that's gift, gifting us both. Uh, absolutely. Um, I, I just have a few minutes left because I have to go pick up our daughter at school. Um, Patty Gallagher, Patty with two T's and an I, uh, mother of Denny Gallagher with one N and a Y, writes to us from, uh, this is uh, from a week ago, writes to us from uh, the road. I'm traveling through northern Italy this week with a group of travel agents to learn more about Insight Vacations trips to Italy for my clients. During lunch one day, we were talking about youth sports. One of the representatives of Insight Vacations is a loyal BNC listener. The podcast is well represented in Italy. I didn't have any merch to include in the picture, but here we are in Portaverna, Italy. Ciao, Patty Gallagher, official BNC travel agent. Thank you. Patty, uh, a beautiful setting there in, in Italy, and um, it's nice to know that we're represented not in Delaware still, but in Italy. So that's good. Um, I'm saving this one for the last because it's just unbelievable. Um, I'll go with this one. Happy Halloween, Rostiva. This is from a couple of weeks ago. I'm sitting on the front porch handing out candy and glow bracelets. Unfortunately, the weather has limited the trick-or-treaters, so I have time finally to email you. I live in Albany, New York, so you probably are having the same weather. We were. Some people in my family do a book club, writes uh, Michelle. We are spread out between four states and span in age from my mom in her 80s to my niece who's 37. It's also my sister and sister-in-law. We use Facebook Messenger to do our weekly book talk. None of us live near mom, so it's a great way to keep up with her. We rotate who picks books. I get to pick next time. Steve, I would like to pick one of yours. Any suggestions? Four of the five grew up in the Chicago suburbs, so we are Midwesterners at heart. We all either played sports or like sports, including mom. I would say to you, Michelle, for certain, Stingray Afternoons. This is like a wine pairing. Uh, Stingray Afternoons for your group. I was one of five kids. It's about growing up in a, uh, among five children. 
um, in the Midwest, first in Chicago, suburban Chicago, then in, in Minneapolis, um, Stingray books, Stingray Afternoons, wherever fine books are sold. Thank you for asking. Rebecca writes, Michelle, I'm a little older than you and played basketball at a small college, so I have always followed your career. In fact, I was at the 95 Final Four in Minneapolis. I just appreciate all you've done for women's sports and really enjoy listening to games when you're announcing. I will for sure miss the trio of Kara, you and Ryan. Oops, the quad, including Holly, but good for Kara's next career move. In fact, the Celtics won again last night. Kara's uh, on the Celtics coaching staff, and uh, they're, I believe they're 8-1 now and looked fan- fantastic last night. I'm told by our neighbor who asked me if I was watching the game. I wasn't. So why am I sitting on the front porch when it's windy and starting to rain? Well, I have five dogs, all adopted doggies from shelters or fosters. So imagine the craziness of my house, writes Michelle, if kids ring the doorbell, which leads me to my next point. I am jealous about all your resident fill-in-the-blanks, so I humbly request to be the resident dog mom that's uh that's perfect um she's she's also a volleyball expert rebecca i could petition to be the resident volleyball rules person since i've been officiating that for a while and i've had to laugh at one of your old podcasts when either tom dick or harry said that they coach volleyball so if you have rules questions just ask them as a long-time official i can tell you many coaches think they could be a resident volleyball rules person but their understanding of rules are a little different I got yelled at by a college coach for not calling a double on the first ball over or for not calling a back row attack because the girl jumped, but the ball was nowhere near above the height of the net. He just kept saying, but she jumped. Sigh. Anyway, I hope you and your kids had a great Halloween. I'm going to go in soon, but turn off the porch lights and pray that no kids ring the doorbell. Michelle. We and read the first thing about what the coach said in volleyball. The coach uh, said. Uh, the first thing. I got yelled at by a college coach for not calling a double on the first ball, on the first ball over, or, or for not calling a back row attack. I don't know what that means. I about That's calling a double on the first rollover. So um, first ball over. Ball over. Yes. Yeah, so maybe she does not hit, only sure. need to be our resident sure dog mom, but volleyball rules hit, person. This is Michelle, right? Yes, but it, she she needs to be a resident dog mom, but not our resident dog uh, a person because because our next email is from Michael in New Jersey. As your resident pooper scooper declared in an email to you on May thirteenth, two thousand eighteen, he's providing receipts here. With over 25 years' experience, I want to comment on the topic of dogs ingesting items other than dog food from last week's show. Given my responsibilities in canine waste removal, I can tell you that socks, both tube and low varieties, are one of the most often recovered items. Michael has runs a kennel. Uh, very small toys, undigested grains, and occasionally an unused plastic garbage bag come to mind as well. Quite a few years ago, we had the chance to care for a Swiss mountain dog, a beautiful dog who stayed with us while her family went to Hawaii for vacation. During her uneventful stay, this girl had a great time. She ate well, didn't make a mess, and did her business outside in a kennel run. I wielded my tool of the trade and can say that everything came out great. On day nine of her 10-day stay, I entered the building to let all the dogs out into the aforementioned kennel runs and noticed an item in the Swissie's otherwise well-kept area. Upon further inspection, I found a whole woolen ski mitten, adult size. To say that I was gobsmacked would be a gross understatement. For nine days, this girl carried on as if nothing was amiss, eating and drinking and relieving herself outside. I bagged the intrusive glove, and when the owners arrived to pick her up the following day, I asked if they were missing anything. They wouldn't need the glove in Maui, and presented them with the mitten. <laughs> the Swissie had been into many things at home and would eat anything not nailed down. Sadly, a few months later, she passed away after consuming a chicken carcass. Given her penchant for consuming anything and everything, I wish her family would have kept a better eye on her, but that is a story for another day. Thank you for the opportunity to share part of our lives with you and best wishes today and always your hand clapping, comb over and tisk tiskin friend, Michael. So the, the Swissy ate in adult size. I like that's an adult size woolen ski mitten. But her ultimate downfall was, was a, a chicken, chicken carcass. carcass. And, and I tell you what, our, our nine-year-old came to me yesterday in tears and said, I said, what's the matter? She said, I just don't want our dog, Jessie, to get sick. I said, well, she's not going to get sick, but if she eats the wrong thing, she could get sick. So that is a, that is a, 
uh, uh, notion in her head. And I think it's because recently our daughter asked me to get grapes, which I did. And I think yes. her friend told her that if a dog grapes, eats too yeah. many grapes, That's it can do bad and things. And Halloween candy is everywhere, and the dog shouldn't eat chocolate. Finally, and before I run out of here to get our daughter and leave you to clean up the mess of this show, this is just a, one of the great viewer mails, I think, of all time. It's from, it's from our friend uh, Matt in West Hartford, who writes, Steve and Rebecca... My wife is currently traveling out of the country for work for 12 days. In her absence, in quotes, as Steve once said to Rebecca on the podcast, I am home with our eight-year-old and four-year-old boys. Okay, do you like where this is going so far? So far. A few nights ago, the eight-year-old somehow managed to get his foot stuck in the back of a wooden kitchen chair uh, with upright slats. I can see from the picture. No matter what I tried, I couldn't free his foot from the chair. After a long time trying unsuccessfully, while we alternated between laughing and getting a little worried, I had no choice. I had to do it. Yes, I called for the fire department. The firefighters were eventually able to free his foot without resorting to sawing off, without resorting resorting to sawing the chair or his foot. The firefighters were amused when I told them that mom was out of town. At least I didn't set the house on fire? Question mark. So, Steve, in Rebecca's absence, while you're at home with the kids, have you ever ended up at the police or fire department at your house, Matt? No. <laughs> Signed, your father of the year candidate, Matt in West Hartford. P.S. Photo evidence below. Uh, and Steve, if you look closer, you'll see that my son is wearing a Minnesota North Stars T-shirt. And by good, by gosh, he is. And here's the son with his foot caught in the uh, uprights of this wooden chair. And my question, Rebecca, for Matt, would be, did you think of just cutting up the chair? Or did you just think of lubing up the kid's leg? You <laughs> or lubing some, up the kid? <laughs> you throw some Vaseline or or Crisco or something on there, and you slowly, if it got through the slats on its own... It can get out of the slats on its own. But, uh, but Matt, <laughs> you, you poor, poor thing, you're a man, so you didn't think of any of that. All of this is uh, uh, good stuff. I have to run to get our daughter. By the way, Roger, one final viewer mail, writes that the next time Rebecca is up to her elbows in raw sewage, I worked for a plumber in high school, and baking soda mixed with toothpaste works wonders. Baking soda mixed with toothpaste. So oh, there good. you go. I will remember for that cleaning for your teeth next or, time. Or scrubbing raw sewage. Um, I'm going to leave you, uh, but uh, throw it to Tom, Dick, Harry. Thank Denny. And Tom, Dick, Harry. Thank you, Denny. Tom, Dick, Harry. Play us out. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pet live in the cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and ambiguous, what we give for a little rest. Stay by day just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.